0: Welcome to episode 63 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even why we're doing this. I mean, even our name.
1: (laughs) Some days. As
0: always, I am your host, Michael Haig.
1: And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conant.
0: And as promised, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about closed relationships and the ethics therein and what makes that work or not work from an ethical perspective. Before we get started today, I just wanted to throw out a quick announcement. Last episode, same words, different tools. I drew up an infographic, which is how I processed Daniel's description of the lands of boundaries, needs, and wants, and the visualization that he suggested that people go through. I inked it, and I put it up on the Probably Poly page so you can check that out at probablypoly.com backslash resources or just go to probablypoly.com and click on the resources page. It's a free PDF to download. I used the clipped version as the image for that episode, but the full version includes the map key, which describes and explains what the different elements on the map are. And I did check this over with Daniel, and he said it was a very good visualization for what he was thinking about, especially as a starting point, although obviously everyone's map can be unique to them, and you can draw whatever you like. This might be a good place for people to start and move from there. And with that, Let's go ahead and get right into this topic. This is a very contentious topic, as people have incredibly strong feelings both ways. As a general rule, if you choose a specific relationship style, and then say it's either ethical or unethical, people are going to have strong views about that. In the past, I have felt a biting the bullet sort of feeling to even say things like, you know what? We're going to do an episode that just says one penis policies are wrong. We're going to do an episode that just says unicorn hunting is wrong. That's in the future, I know, but we're going to do it. This is not one of those episodes. It is not going to say that it's just wrong, but it is definitely a lot more work for it not to be problematic.
1: Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about what it looks like when it's wrong.
0: Yeah, which is still also probably most of the time. It's certainly one of those things where if I see it, I'm gonna spend some time drawing out the very specific details of what it looks like before trying to weigh in on whether or not it's wrong or not, but it's definitely a warning sign. People coming into groups and trying to be like, the best kind of relationships, a closed relationship, is definitely a scary note for me automatically. We have the greatest closed triad, closed quad, Close five some ever is a always a scary lead. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about what we mean when we say a closed relationship. So a closed relationship is basically any relationship where you cannot start dating new people without getting consent from the other people already in the relationship.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't even say that. I would just say you can't date other people.
0: That's the more closed version. But like, so a lot of closed relationships look like this. We're a closed quad, but if the right woman came along, we might add her to our relationship. Right. And it's still a closed relationship, even though in theory you can add people because you can add people with the approval of the entire group to add this person to the relationship.
1: And it's a closed relationship continuing to unicorn hunt because it's never
0: if a great guy comes along. As we described before, if it has any gender or genitalia description comes along, that's already problematic. But even if it was a closed relationship, like four people that were a closed relationship, but if the right person or people came along, we might add them to our relationship. That's still a closed relationship for the purposes that I want to discuss because a completely locked down, non-mutable relationship feels like a straw man to me. And we'll discuss both of them. But those are the two types is what I was trying to say at the beginning. Okay. Was I was suggesting there might be two types of closed relationships we should look at because I think that most relationships are still closed adjacent even if they're technically open to adding people but only in terms of absorbing them into the right formation as a new closed unit.
1: They're the borg.
0: Yeah it's like relationship borging.
1: There's our title. <laughs> <laughs> The relationship borg.
0: Yeah, so those are the two types that I want to look at. Because obviously monogamy is an example of the traditional, the most locked down version of a closed relationship. Right. There's two people in a dyadic relationship, and nobody in that relationship is allowed to add anybody else to any type of relationship. They can't add them to their relationship group, nor can they date people outside of the relationship itself. This one, I think, is a little bit easier. It's basically... As long as it is considered monogamy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I use it interchangeably with ethical monogamy. So monogamy can be ethical if both people are aware that non-monogamy exists, have discussed the benefits and drawbacks to both, have decided for the purposes of their relationship agreement scenario to stick with being monogamous for now, and add a caveat that says...
1: This may change.
0: Right. Understanding that this is capable of change, that one cannot project themselves into the future that way, that the needs of the relationship can change, the needs of the people in the relationship can change. And it's something that we will sort of revisit and say, yeah, I still want this when we renew our relationship contract every year and which is up for grabs that even if during the year, you can say, hey, I'm not so sure that this is still working for me. Can we talk about if this is going to continue working for us? And that when that comes up, you don't apply coercive tactics to hold them to being monogamous.
1: Right. It's open to reevaluation.
0: So that doesn't mean you don't leave the relationship. You might still say, oh, I still only want to be monogamous. That's not healthy for me. I don't feel good about that. I want to be monogamous. So I would rather leave the relationship. The same way that you would discuss any incompatibility. You know, not, let's not talk about it at all. If you even bring it up, I'm breaking up with you. Right. You know, atom bomb sort of dictator move. And not, well, everybody knows monogamy is more ethical or everybody knows that like your family will hate you or I will use lawyers to take away everything that you own or you'll never see your kids again. Because if you're doing any of those things to keep the relationship locked down or to control the other person, anytime you're trying to control another person where your goal is controlling another person for your needs you are unethical.
1: Yeah, any type of control flex.
0: Unless it's a dependent scenario, like again, kids, the elderly who are not able to care for themselves, helping people avoid self-harm in certain scenarios. Mm -hmm. But then the whole thing about those last three is that all three of those are supposed to be aimed at giving the person more freedom because they're currently unable to make that freedom for themselves in some way.
1: Because of the situation, yeah.
0: Yeah, if you've been granted custody of an elder and you use that custody just to control them and get what you want for yourself, that's still an ethical lapse. Like if you're not aiming at trying to help them live their best life with it, that's very different. But your partners are not like that. Your partners are people that you do not have that kind of control or role of protecting. And so trying to control them in all is automatically clearly problematic and clearly harmful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, using coercive tactics to try and force someone to stay with you if they want to leave the relationship, that's the problem. So you can have monogamy in the sense that you're both saying that as far as you can tell right now being with just the other person is what you want and will work best for you but you would commit to not using coercive or unethical tactics to force the other person to stay monogamous should their feelings about that change in the future
1: it's got to be up for renegotiation
0: man references are getting old as soon as i hear that i always think about the matrix you know the the matrix only works if people are allowed to opt out yeah. You don't get that one. Sorry, I'm too old. Or you're too old if you're really <laughs> old. One of the two. Either you're super old or you've just never or you're seen The Matrix. Young, or you've never seen The Matrix. <laughs> I don't talk about The Matrix a lot, but it was a really weird moment where philosophers started talking about The Matrix like it was its own. Like there are like, dozens of philosophy books written just about the philosophy of the matrix really there's a ton of stuff that you could talk about Wow! because it talks about all sorts of different things like his choice and illusion does ca- causality real or uh, of course the wachowski sisters have since said that they think that you could reasonably read it as a trans metaphor like you might remember in the original movie they all had their own chosen names and that the agents kept dead naming them so they kept saying like yeah. mr anderson when he's like my name is neo And that a lot of the sort of rage and even the note about the Matrix feeling like you don't belong like a needle, like a splinter in your mind is them trying to express the feeling of being in the wrong body and experiencing gender dysphoria.
1: I never thought about it, but it makes sense. Yeah.
0: Because if you don't know, both of the Wachowski sisters are trans and have since transitioned since that time
1: they both did
0: yeah they both did at first only one did and then they both did Mm. and they were responsible for writing and then directing the matrix so
1: yeah i never thought about it but that makes complete sense
0: it talks about so many different philosophical questions and it talks about freedom questions and naming questions and the trans allegory
1: (laughs) yeah i just thought it was a really cool fucking movie uh trilogy
0: it is also (laughs) a really good movie Right. So you have to have the option if you're being forced into staying in the relationship in any way. So we've talked before about financial forcings. You definitely need to have a system set up so that if when you decide to not be monogamous anymore, one of you doesn't bite the big one financially speaking and end up in free fall. But if you do all of that clear financial structure, I think it's really good to write what amounts to a fair either prenup or postnup that you get signed, which is basically like if we end up breaking up, it'll look like this, so that there's just no fighting, it's evenly distributed, it's very fair, (laughs) Yeah, then that will help you be less coercive. Because one of the problems with monogamy in general is that regular marriage in America is heavily coercive. We talked about this a few episodes back. We talked about in some states you can be arrested or fined for sleeping with other people. And in fact, even the people that you sleep with can be arrested in some states mm-hmm. are fined, even if they're not married. And in some states, they have crazy waiting periods. So like in Pennsylvania, they have a no fault divorce system that says you have to wait a year of separation before you can even apply for divorce. And while you're waiting during that year, you could in theory have them hire a PI to follow you around. And even though if you are separated, it carries less weight. Now it's not no weight. So like if they separate and then yeah. engage in relationships, and then they take that and say, well, they were only separated for three months when they started dating someone else. So clearly they weren't invested in this marriage and they can use that in the court. So very scary stuff. And nobody should be told that they're not allowed to have sex for a year while they wait for their divorce to come through. And that's before you start getting divorced.
1: Mm -hmm. That's before you file. Yeah.
0: Can take years to go through a full divorce proceeding. So it can easily be a three to four year process from when you start getting divorced till you finish a divorce in many states with all sorts of interesting ramifications on what your behavior looks like in that time, especially if you have kids. Mm -hmm. So if you've got kids, and one of you isn't dating and one of you is dating, especially if one of you is dating multiply, you're probably going to be in a lot of trouble if the other person decides they want to go that route, which is why having clear parameters about how the government shouldn't be using children like chess pieces in your relationship would be a good idea if you wanted to have an ethical relationship that included legally binding marriage. Super important. The legal stuff gets things a lot more muddied though. Yeah. There's a lot of extra things you have to do. You have to basically then deconstruct the power dynamic that being legally married and America creates with the government to say ethical. But assuming we're looking beyond that at people who are no one's legally married and we're talking about three or more person closed relationships, the same rules are going to apply if you want it to be an ethical closed relationship. Firstly, it's going to have to be always up for renegotiation. If someone wants to renegotiate, it has to be a non coercive negotiation where there is a clear set of guidelines for how people can extract themselves safely from the relationship how child visitation if appropriate will work very very important if you want to do that and then even then it's really tricky like i'm not going to tell people they can't do that if they want to do that and if everybody in the relationship says that this is how they wanted it to go and it feels like the right thing for them then as an existentialist i think that you are more likely to aim at your own happiness than i am likely to tell you what to do but the evidence of successful poly gurus and non-monogamous gurus the world over is closed triads closed quads are polyamory on ultra hard mode with a super high risk of harms mm-hmm. which should not be surprising right at all
1: but they do sometimes work
0: Yes, yeah. so. and they do sometimes work Why like i said hard mode but i mean yeah. there's so many scary things about it for instance and this is why this is actually a really rich area for philosophy is that philosophy is where we take the things that we do know and apply them to things that we couldn't know to get our best guess. Okay. And this is really important in non-monogamy because we don't know a lot about non-monogamy because as we said before, you can't really study it because it's a gender and sexual minority. So it's almost impossible to get grants to study it. People aren't really interested in sexual research, especially any sexual research that says that not being monogamous is good. Right. And so it's almost impossible to, to study. And so... We don't know things like what are the likely outcomes of a closed triad other than anecdotally and then again applying other knowledge to the field and best guessing. So the problem with monogamy often ends up being that the people end up turning into a single unit that bounces ideas back and forth almost exclusively between each other, especially because of bounds of secrecy and consent, you know, wrapped up in ideas of consent. Like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't want you to tell anyone about this conversation we had because I would feel awkward about it. But the conversation you had is actually harmful and them trying to manipulate you, but they've asked you not to share it with anybody so you don't share it with anybody. Right. As we said before, you should never agree to a sharing rule set that doesn't give you at least two outside observers. so like when i'm talking with someone and i'm like can i share stories about you and they're like you can't share anything that happens with us with anyone else i'm like well i need to at least have two close friends that i can share it with right like i can't be a part of it of course that's different than sharing their stories so i've also had people say you can share anything that happens between us with people that you need to talk to but
1: none of their personal stories yeah
0: but like if i tell you a childhood trauma you can't necessarily tell that to somebody else i get
1: that yeah
0: and i'm like okay that's fine because that's not about me it doesn't It's not hitting me.
1: But you shouldn't be able to not share your stories, which are ones that are created with you.
0: Right. That include them.
1: With someone else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if someone wants that, again, that's being really controlling and they're trying to be your only being for others. But that happens a lot, a lot, a lot in monogamy. It's super common for monogamy. Mm-hmm. I've been in a lot of relationships when I was younger and I've been in a lot of relationships in almost all of my younger monogamous relationships, the person will be like, I don't want you talking to other people about us. If you have a problem with me, let's talk about it with me. Don't talk about it with anybody else. Yeah. But then the problem with that is if they don't agree with you, like if they're trying to get you to agree to something harmful, they're just going to stand their ground and you've got nobody else. So it starts to look reasonable because it's one person versus one person instead of a bunch of your friends going, that's crazy. Get out. Yeah. (laughs) It's just you uh, by yourself. And now imagine that multiplied. So now you're in a three-person relationship or a four-person relationship and you're only having conversations in that in-group. And this is how clicks work, right? This is how groupthink works. I mean, Mm -hmm. groupthink is a well-documented problem that when you have a group of people constantly thinking together, their ideas actually just get worse and worse.
1: This is how Mean Girls happens.
0: (laughs) In general, if you make... A group of people this is
1: the heathers all day long
0: always make decisions together the decisions tend to get worse over time if there's no outside force checking those decisions and like reevaluating them and giving them guidance on how it how it's working out the group think is very dangerous so then if one of you wants to leave and the other we'll say three people really like the closed relationship they're all gonna go don't leave no it's terrible don't do it
1: you're gonna mess all our lives
0: up yeah you're gonna mess all our lives up so we've already talked we've talked We always talk about the warning of the utilitarian argument. You cannot live your life for other people. Mm -hmm. You cannot make them happy. They make them happy or sad. You just tell them what you have on offer and what you want to share with them or not and they can share with you that or not. So this is the danger of a closed relationship. Because even if you're saying, okay, well, it's renegotiable every year, six years into a closed relationship, when you're the person who feels unsatisfied, you're going to feel terrible about breaking up everybody else's happy home. Yeah. So it's really hard to get out of that situation. So even if no one else is asking you to stay, there's a groupthink and a social pressure. Mm -hmm. And like, you have to really think early on, do I really have? the emotional staying power to commit to being able to leave and not being forced into staying to keep people happy? Right. Can I really do that to people that I love and care about for all this time and have shared so much with? Because, you know, it's better for everyone than to stay and be resentful, but it's really hard to believe that in the moment when everyone's making you not to go. Well,
1: it's the same as in a monogamous re-
0: relationship. Yeah, but it's not... Because the pressure's multiplied. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is it's 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 so much worse. It's like yeah. we know that it's problematic in monogamous marriages. We know that people stay for the wrong reasons and make each other miserable and and hate themselves, but also feel too guilty to go. Right. But they're also miserable. But then multiply the social pressure by two or right. three or four. And then also when you have three or four partners, two or three or four partners, that tends to take up a lot more of your social time. So at least a monogamous person probably has a large field of friends to fall back on, two or three or four friends. But if you're fielding four consistent relationships for like a half, decade yeah. your friendship bench is probably fairly thin yeah and again it's you're losing the preponderance so instead of losing one person one core relationship and keeping all these others you're losing all of your core relationships and this is again about the coercive thing so like mm-hmm. having rules that say we will transition the relationship rather than just cut ties Right, that you will get to be a friend that you can still live in the house but you're a non. you know you get to keep your own bedroom like because a lot of times as we said before people will often each get their own bedroom is a, a much easier polyamorous scenario but then if you're in there you get to keep your room and get to continue being a roommate and all of those things are not conditional on sleeping with everybody else right or some number of other people in the house
1: i couldn't even imagine losing all of my partners at one time
0: yeah it would be insane. Yeah. So like the co-terminus clause or the risk of co-termination. The problem is there's, there needs to be every single game that we've ever talked about on this show on like ultra point mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to ethically handle a closed relationship. You need to have really clear relationship contracts with everybody about what the transitions and how you stay involved and how the kids work and how the money works and how your safety works across the board. And you've got to have really consistent, I would say that that many people, even once every six months would probably adopt, necess- would probably be the minimum I would suggest having a meeting where everyone where like it's required that you ask, does everyone still want to be in this relationship so that the norm is the idea that someone might want to leave because otherwise it becomes such a lock that it's so hard for people to go.
1: That it's just assumed and nobody checks in and. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That you have to do communication super on point and yeah. relational contract super on point and non-coercive consent, the whole ring thing, like triple quadruple yeah. check ultra on point super consistent like it's i'm not saying you can't do it it's just an incredible amount of work and you need to have everything that you're good at done before you go into that which is why it should not be and and the thing that you see that's interesting as well and i think this is very telling is there's very few 10 year 20 year veterans preaching close triads right not none i i don't know any though i don't know any professional public polyamorous speakers preaching or even living in a closed relationship. Yeah. Or non-monogamous speakers.
1: I I know a few closed triads Mm -hmm. that work for them that are years invested. I don't personally know that there's no coercion or that they're 100% ethical, but they seem to work for them. I've spoken at a lot of conferences and I don't know that I've ever heard closed triad class. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah.
0: And you'd think there would be given how popular they appear to be in internet chat channels. Yes. But every internet chat channel I go in, there's at least a 10% of the people in there going, who wants to be in a closed triad? Although most of those are unicorn hunting, which we're going to get to later.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, and I may offend some folks here, poly 101 people, newbies that's their like their goal going in oh it's this amazing closed triad right but only like poly 501 people can actually even attempt it with any type of level of ethicality
0: well and most of the appeal is that it's a lot like monogamy. yeah so generally speaking by the time you get totally on point with jealousy oh and we didn't talk about that so all all the things you have to be like top notch at working through jealousy (laughs) people who are new to this think jealousy won't be a problem because what's good for one is good for all of us in this relationship at best it only counts if everyone in the relationship is sleeping with everybody in the relationship first of all right a lot Mm -hmm. of close quads that i've seen in books that i've read and stories that i've read are two guys and two women and they each sleep with both of the opposite gender. And then maybe one of the two sides is by. Yeah. But there's never, like, everybody. Mm-hmm. There's always, like, somebody you don't sleep yeah. with. And usually that's what's going to happen if it's not a one-penis policy setup. Mm-hmm. And if it's a one-penis policy setup, it's unethical for a whole other host of reasons. We have a whole episode for that. Go have fun. But if it's not that setup, then chances are at least some people you won't be sleeping with. And if those people... Are stealing all of your partner's time simultaneously like you think it's bad imagine a group date where you have four people living in your household and three of them on a date and you are alone yeah also as we said before that's also all of your friends now mm-hmm. because you're actually trying to maintain like a billion relationships when you take into account the there's the relationship dynamic of each three set there's the relationship dynamic of each dating set there's the relationship dynamic of the quad it's like 17 relationships you're trying to keep up with to nurture and so you probably have a relatively thin friend bench as we've already talked about
1: <laughs> and then you know that you probably have to work as well. And God forbid there's children involved. So yeah.
0: Right. Or you're having to take care of the kids for yeah. so their scheduled three person date that doesn't include you while wow, you just had a fight with two of them. Right. And so you're miserable and trying to take yeah, it's it's really crazy hard. You
1: have zero time for outside friends. Zero time.
0: And it's premised also on the idea, again, that attractiveness is sort of one-dimensional. Mandy and I were talking about this before the show, not on the show, but what is the idea that in monogamous cultures where you're not supposed to be able to be friends with the opposite gender, what's that premised on? And it's premised on the idea that attractiveness is one-dimensional. So in any scenario where two people could have sex because they're attracted to the other person's gender presentation. Well,
1: one of them is going to be a attracted to
0: the other one one of them will be hot yeah. than the other one and the other the less hot one will always want the hot one so yeah. one of the two is always trying to get with the other person and that's why those relationships are not supposed to work is the concept the reason that falls apart as we talked about before is that attraction is not one-dimensional it's not about attractiveness objective quality attractiveness it is about relationship fit mm-hmm. so one of my friends once described finding one person that you'd want to be with for the rest of your life as a goddamn miracle and And mocked people who were mad about not being able to find a miracle in this life. Now imagine trying to find two... Multiple, yeah. Or three or four people who want that with each other for life.
1: All of them. All the people involved. (laughs) <laughs> well, all of them want
0: it to be together for life, whether sexually or not, depending on the dynamics, and most of them want it sexually. Right. And are able to maintain those relationships indefinitely. Like that is Yeah. Again, it's not impossible. It's just so incredibly unlikely. It's right. like it's like the person that won the lottery twice. I know that's happened. The, you should never play the lottery unless you're doing it because you enjo- like <laughs> if you enjoy throwing money into a fire you should play the lottery if you're actually doing it because you have hope that you'll win or you literally need it in some way you shouldn't and we know that statistically that's who does play the lottery yeah so generally don't play the lottery it's like that it could happen but it just feels like you're setting yourself up for harms and coercion and feeling stuck and groupthink and yeah it's very dangerous
1: statistically this is not gonna work there is that small percentage that does, but statistically this
0: this is against you. Yeah, and then aiming at it makes it even worse. Yeah. And the reason aiming at it makes it even worse is because, again, the improbability of it is so high that when you aim at it, you start trying to make it happen. You start to objectify people too. And the way that you make it happen is you project your desired person onto someone who's not that person and make of them an object. Right. They fit the need that your relationship has to meet its desired form rather than finding someone and then figuring out how they best fit in your life and it just happens to be the best fits in a closed relationship yeah you have a star-shaped hole and you just keep grabbing people and being like you square fit you circle fit, you triangle fit, and it it doesn't work. And it just damages them and hurts everybody. And so that's why when when people will say, we know some, but they all coalesced organically, that's what we really mean. One of the common cornerstones of polyamory and people that I talk to, and certainly for me, is that one of the appeals of it is that it allows me to have each of my relationships be authentic and grow to its own natural best place. Mm -hmm. So if relationships grow to a natural best place that happens to be we are all dating and we're all saturated and therefore we think it would be easier not to bother dating other people right now because all of our needs are met and the lower effort that goes with worrying about getting dates being on dating sites getting routine sci checks etc will benefit our communal group easily fine right (laughs) but if you start trying to force someone to fit somewhere, you're back into the relationship escalator and monogamous objectification and all of the things that we left... That box for, like all of the things that you learned at the beginning of becoming ethically non monogamous about how you can't decide what kind of relationship you're going to have with someone. You have to see where it goes organically, and it's not fair to limit relationships that way is exactly what you're doing.
1: Well, and if you try to force something to happen, eventually you're going to be resistance is going to build up, and then resentment is going to build up, and it's just not going to work.
0: And both ways the people who want it will get resentful it's not working. Right. The people that don't want it will get resentful that you're forcing them. Yeah. Who didn't want it will get resentful they can't date without your approval right. and it's just not gonna fucking work it's just not gonna work and the chances of it working out are just so low
1: the chances of it working out organically are so low yeah trying to force it just puts it in the negative
0: Like it just is not going to work. It will not work in the sense that it will not be ethical and it will not be healthy.
1: Well, I mean, that's what we're aiming for. Yeah,
0: right. I know. But I just (laughs) want to be clear because I know people are going to jump back and go, well, I was able to get a triad going or something. And you go, well, just because you got it going doesn't mean it worked. Yeah. So when we say work, let's be clear. We mean is ethical, is non-coercive, is safe, is helping everybody live a better life than they would live without it, is getting people's own needs met and letting them have authentic relationships with themselves and others. If it's not doing those things, it didn't work.
1: And the length of time that it worked does not, we, we've discussed this before, it Is not a measure of success either. A successful triad can happen for a year or it can happen yeah, sure. for 10 years or it can happen for three months or just because it doesn't last doesn't mean it wasn't successful because the triad or the quad could have sat down and went okay who doesn't want to be in this anymore like you said and somebody can go yeah that's me it's not working for me you know i want to go do this or i found i want to date this person and it can then end ethically and it's still a success
0: all of our premises are about Preparing for a healthy de-escalation of the scenario. So as long as, again, it helped you have the life experiences that you all wanted. There was no more coercion than in normal relationships because we're all doing our best, but we're not perfect. But, you know, and it had good transition systems so that the person was able to transition out, but still maintain those close bonds that matter to them to the extent that they wanted to. Yeah. So if they choose to, you know, leave completely fine, but if they choose to stay in contact and be friends and they choose to continue the co-housing situation, great. You know, whatever it looks like, that their entire life wasn't held captive against who they were sleeping with, then good. No. <laughs> it can work out even if that means you only had that for like a month.
1: I just like to mention that when we say a successful relationship, that doesn't mean it was a decade long. It just means that it was a positive outcome for everyone. And it was ethical. And it served the purposes it needed to serve at the time.
0: Yeah. So I think it can happen. I think it does happen. But I don't think it's the kind of thing you can aim at, right? That it's like, if you're aiming at it, you've almost precluded the possibility that it can happen. Well,
1: you can think in the back of your mind, Oh, this would be awesome if we were to become a triad. And you can do a happy dance in the closet if it happens.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, for sure. Like, I'm always like, man, I really wish i would write a book that would be a bestseller and then i'd be rich and i'd be able to donate to all these important causes that i always wanted to donate to without aiming at being a rich person because if you aim at being a rich person you're almost certainly going to be unethical in the things that you have to do to make that dream happen whereas if you just happenstance get rich and then use the money to help people you're not necessarily a bad person by default that's a great analogy but yeah if you're trying to resource hoard Oh, yeah, it's very similar. Human resource hoarding versus money resource hoarding. Yeah. If your goal is to hoard as many resources as you can to force the world to comply to the the goal that you want by controlling people, you're almost certainly going to be unethical mm-hmm. in that process.
1: Yeah. Hate to break it to you. Harems are unethical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think it's so funny when I'm in like Facebook groups and something, somebody like, oh, I just, I want a harem. Ew.
0: Why? Ew. (laughs) Just. Nobody wants a harem.
1: Not anyone ethical anyway.
0: I don't know. I, I definitely draw a strong line that there's a difference between wanting something or fantasizing about something and being unethical for going after it. Because well, I mean, we talked about like, a lot of people have rape fantasies, for instance, and want to role play those out. And that's not the same as wanting to rape people.
1: And well, and your whole
0: thing about getting rich, yeah. you know, sure. you can want to be rich, but I would like to have money because I live in a society where me and my friends will literally die right. if I don't mm-hmm. have enough. And so I would like to have more so that I'm not scared of not having enough, but I don't want to actually victimize yeah. people to get it. Harems just seem icky to me. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of fun objectification BDSM power plays tied up in that, though. I mean, a
1: harem for an evening isn't bad,
0: but... Yeah, no, man. Actually, if you actually try and like think through the sort of emotional labor required to, to be the only person for that many people, yeah. it sounds really terrible, actually.
1: Yeah, it's exhausting just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they're not. They're not thinking about no. it. Those people aren't going to be people. They're just sex slaves that show up for sex. Right. I mean, and that's what an actual harem is as well. Is it's just objects that show up for sex. Right. And they're, not, they're not people that you have to take care of. And objectification is like literally the most common fantasy. So I'm not going to go out on a limb and be like, you shouldn't have a hyper objectification fantasy. But but if they're actually getting on there going, I'm trying to build a harem in a chat room. I want, oh, then, then yeah, then they're terrifying.
1: And objectification is fun in kink play or for an evening right. or role play.
0: Consensual play where the person has a safe word, not, yeah. not trying to actually objectify people. Right. But trying to have consensual objectification in a safe space. Yes. Yeah, very different thing.
1: We gotta throw up all our little warnings and
0: <laughs> I know, right? So many warnings on this. So that's closed relationships in like the most limited sense. Mm-hmm. So the relationship is closed unless everybody votes to like add one or two new people, but it's closed. Yeah. But lacking a one penis policy because that's just ipso facto bad.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's <laughs> an all or nothing scenario.
0: We talk about the whole possible range from ethical to unethical An all or nothing scenario is definitely unethical. If you leave the relationship, all of your friends cut you off. No, unethical, bad.
1: No, no. I mean, sex with just within your triad, no sex with anybody else, no relationships with anybody, like romantic relationships with anybody else. That's the all or nothing. And if you don't participate with everybody, or the people that it's been agreed upon, then you're not in the triad anymore. You're not in the quad anymore. In the closed relationship, it's an all or nothing.
0: Right? Well, I wasn't trying to limit it that much. Because that's again, that that variant is always unethical. Mm -hmm. But you could imagine a closed relationship that even had that up for grabs that wasn't unethical you know you get to choose who in the relationship you want to sleep with at any time even if that goes down to only one person and you're still in the relationship as long as you don't sleep with anyone outside of the group even if you're not sleeping with anybody you're still in the relationship
1: you only have this lineup to pick from
0: Yeah, right, right. Well, and that's, that's actually, I mean, it's, you laugh, but I've read whole books about those sorts of relationships and their structure. So oh, wow. it's not a non-existent thing. Although those are often like, there was a, the one the ones that are, they have whole books written about are like weird, really strange moments in history where, I forget when, but like in the late 70s, I want to say, there was like an intentional community where the entire community was technically group married and it was like 60 people, but you could only sleep with someone in those 60 people, basically, but you could sleep with anybody inside of that group. Those are cults. Yeah. That may well be true. That's a different question yeah. for a different time. But my point is that there are books written about those exact structures. Okay. So those structures do definitely exist, be they large or smaller scale. But you could imagine a smaller scale structure potentially being not unethical that has all the opt-out options. Yeah. If you're in it consensually, if it has all the features we discussed, I'm not going to restate them every time, it's just going to be exhausting. Could be ethical, but would not qualify as an all or nothing, as you were describing. Okay. It. What that actually ends up looking like, if we're going to use the language of zoology, I guess, is the multi male, multi female dating. Cool. That's one of the sex types that you can have is they create a bonded group, usually between three and seven individuals and only sleep with other members of that group, but not necessarily with every member of that group okay. is a type of dating type that exists in the wild, just like multi female, multi male exists, just like monogamy exists, just like polygamy exists, polygyny, etc. The one of the things that is weird about sexual mating styles that comes up a lot is that humans, because we have actual culture, are the only animal that exhibits in different cultures at different times, every mating style. <laughs> Huh. There are areas in the world where that kind of style was really common, where three brothers would marry two sisters or something. Well, it usually is in isolated areas where there's not just going to be the right number of men and women in every generation. Mm-hmm. And so so that nobody ends up getting left out completely. You have these sort of group marriages. So yeah, so you can imagine that structure. That's the kind of most closed-closed right. concept. The model that could be ethical. Because obviously the, we're just closed, you can't leave, unethical. Mm-hmm. You know, the version where you could theoretically add or remove people But only you can sleep with people in that group is the most closed group. The other kind of close that I want to talk about is the idea that you're not a closed group. You can be with people outside of the group, etc. But you can only be with people after everybody that you're, I guess we'll say, polycule with agrees. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are in this without even knowing that they're in this sort of closed style. So the traditional, we just opened our relationship style, and my wife has complete veto power over anybody that I might want to date is actually a closed relationship of this type, right? That in fact, you are in a closed relationship where the other members of your polycule, which in this case are just your wife, have to decide if anybody else can be in it with you, and you get to decide if anyone else can be with them. And sometimes they even will try and justify this by saying, but once you're actually part of our polycule, then you will get the same veto power over new members so that you could eventually end up in a scenario where you might have like a z style relationship where both the husband and the wife of the original relationship are dating someone else but all four of them now if somebody new comes in have power to say i'm scared of that person i don't want them to be dating you Mm -hmm. and this is also a closed relationship style and in a lot of ways i almost think this one is a more common and more insidious and more
1: absolutely
0: consistently harmful relationship close style because people don't even realize they're in this closed relationship
1: i just completely agree like that's that will sneak up on you you like wake up one morning and you're like fuck (laughs) like this is happening and you didn't you you got there quietly and quickly and didn't realize it
0: yeah is that something that you've experienced i don't know the way you said that made me feel like you at one point woken up and realized that that was going on no
1: i've had friends close friends
0: mm-hmm.
1: be in these circumstances and it like you you do realize like what's going on right <laughs> <Fuck>. like really <laughs> Like he has veto power. You're basically in a closed relationship. Like he gets to decide who you date and who you don't date. That's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I never looked at it like, you know, like, and it's just, yeah. No, I've, like I said, I've had friends. So
0: that person has complete manipulative power over you and complete manipulative power over everyone you date Mm -hmm. they have the complete power to just control all the people you you date sex life as it relates to you
1: who's having sex when and with who yep
0: yeah that's a closed relationship because if everyone just keeps saying no then you don't date anybody else like so they're still actually requiring buy-in from everybody and it doesn't have to be everybody but as long as it's enough people that you need a substantial buy-in of the group to get the ability to date and even if it's only one person who's buying you have to get you're in a form of closed relationship Mm -hmm. whether you realize you are or not because that's all a closed relationship is it's rules on who you're allowed to sleep with that's what makes something a closed relationship if you're really going to be down to brass tacks about it yeah and those rules being controlled and enforced by someone who's not you you might have rules for yourself and that's not a closed relationship you might even have rules that you ask people to remind you of (laughs) and that's not a closed relationship but if other people are saying oh no i'm sorry you can't sleep with them they're problematic yeah then you are no longer in an open relationship you are in potentially a non-monogamous closed relationship depending on what the structure of your relationship looks like but you're absolutely not in a completely open relationship where you're making your own choices
1: i would go so far as to say you're not in an ethically non-monogamous relationship
0: yeah that's a good point so you're in a non-ethical non-monogamous relationship is what has happened yeah and this one's interesting because, and this is why this one's a little bit more insidious, it seems like the one on the surface that you would be more willing to say, well, there are ways in which this can be ethical than the completely closed system. But in fact, there's not. <laughs> that if somebody else tells you who you're allowed to sleep with and when, then you are not in a ethical relationship. And I don't just trying to stretch my brain here for a minute and try and think of a scenario inside the get permission-y veto realm. Yeah, all of it's ick. And I can't... I, I can say there's things that maybe sort of look like that but are not in the same way like if you have a partner that wants to know when you're interested in somebody else but doesn't get to tell you no but just wants to know because it's easier for them to like do their own self-work knowing when you are and are not interested in other people for instance it sort of has a vibe where like before you go on a date with someone you have to tell your partner but that's just informing them it's not asking them yeah and that's the the key difference there i
1: can tell you how we justified our veto early on in mine and my nest partner's relationship we had a veto power cool and we no not cool
0: we- <laughs> <laughs> that was very sarcastic i'm sorry if that wasn't oh. <laughs> really a sarcastic rule cool. to everyone out there that was aimed at like the kind yeah. of cool you say before sidling off screen in a comic book
1: <laughs> but how we justified it at the time mm-hmm. was protecting our family
0: sure yeah
1: so if I saw someone he was dating was malicious or looked to me like a cowgirl, I got to make that call.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Instead of trusting him not to abandon your family for a cowgirl.
1: Yes. Right. It didn't last long.
0: Sure, sure. (laughs)
1: But that was how we justified it. So that's one way where that people may think that's okay because we're just protecting our family. Mm -hmm. And when in reality, it is unethical and in a way closing the relationship.
0: And to help people with that, the reason that that's not a good answer is because you can do all of the other stuff that you were talking about just as well without the veto power. So if Mm -hmm. the person looks like they might be toxic to the family... Having strong, healthy rules about how and when the kids get introduced to them, totally legitimate. Yeah. Having veto power over having a partner meet your kids is totally legitimate. Like, yeah. I'm not ready for your partner to meet my children because I'm not convinced they're going to be a healthy influence on them yet. Right. That is part yeah. of your role as a guardian to decide those yeah. sorts of things. I was saying
1: things. they're minors and you get that control. That's- yes.
0: <laughs> that is part of your goal. Yeah, I actually have had that conversation recently with the person that I've been talking with about what our child interaction policy looks like, which is always a tough conversation because people are not usually a huge fan when I'm like, you can't see them at all for the first year. And then... You get to be my friend for a year, and then we ask the kids how they feel about if you were my partner in some way. People are not super usually into that. This person was much cooler because we've been friends for two years, so we decided that the friends for two years part, without meeting the kids, was going to count the original year of trying to figure out if they had staying power. (sighs) Nice. They're allowed to come on things that I do with my kids as a friend, no PDA kind of scenario. If you're not clear, guys, the first year before they meet the kids is just to make sure that you and them will still be together. Right. Because, I mean, usually a year will tell you if that person's going to be in your life for the long haul in some capacity. Well, and, I mean, you can't keep people in your life forever.
1: I'm all about you're going to lose people in your life Mm -hmm. and kids are going to have to learn that eventually that not everybody stays for the long haul. Like I teach my kids that people are in your life for a season, whether that season is four years or that season is 10 years or that season is a year. All relationships have some type of merit and you get something from them. You may not want to invest in a one year relationship, that you would invest in a 10 year relationship. But my kids are also teenagers and yours are not.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about the, the older you get, the more you're going to have to trust the kids for sure. Teenagers are a different right. classification. I don't really think of teenagers as kids. They're kind of proto-adults. They're a couple of years going to make their own decisions legally.
1: Proto-adults. My kids would love you to call them proto-adults. I mean, they're,
0: they're <laughs> at the point where what they want would be reasonably considered by a judge right. if there was a court case about it. Not, it wouldn't be the only factor, but it would be, you know, much more than like a three-year-old or a four-year-old saying what they want would be right. considered if there was other compelling evidence.
1: But I mean, we've talked about this before that mine and your take are a little different on, on meeting the
0: kids. I guess actually what I meant to say was if you make it to a year, that's as much as you're ever going to know. Mm-hmm. You're in. Yeah. You might still break up. People will get divorced after 10 years, five years, 50 years. But once you make it to a year, that's as much as you're ever going to be certain after that. Yeah. After that, you'd have to wait till you were dead to know, and then it would be too late to introduce them to your kids. Right. So <laughs> a year just to see if they're if it's sort of safe to start introducing them, and then a year to see if they're good for your kids, if your kid feels good around yeah. them, if your kid likes being around them, if they like being around your kids, but without... If they're
1: good with kids, yeah.
0: Right, without raising the stakes. So if you tell your kids, here's my yeah. like partner, they feel like they have to like that person, have to be differential mm-hmm. to that person. They say, here's a person I know. They don't feel the same level of have to about it. Right. And then also if that person leaves, the kid won't feel like, did they leave because of me? Because kids often think that relationships mm-hmm. end because of them. And especially if they have a fight with the person and then that, you know, et cetera. Right. And then after that year, then you can say, hey, what do you think about if they were a partner and get the kids feedback? Uh, and I think the older you get the kids get the softer you can play with those rules for sure I mean, mm-hmm. I mean part of that's having to know your kids there's definitely a point where I think kids are just not invested in their parents relationships and part of that's also again that best guess because we don't have a lot of good evidence from non-monogamous relationships there aren't non-monogamous relationship studies on this the studies are all from monogamous structures either original marriage or maybe like your parents were divorced and get remarried but in all of those cases people tend to be looking for stable parental figures and it's entirely possible mm-hmm possible mm-hmm. that in the poly household they have three or four or five stable parental figures and this new person while sort of filling that role is also the role is really divided, and so they're not losing yeah. as much. Like They have that minimum number of parents already in the home.
1: Yeah, that support's there already.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a different thing. So you have to judge based on how your kids are responding to the people that they're bonding with, how much help your kids need. I have never lost anybody that I cared about deeply that it does not still hurt me. So I am of the opinion that keeping your children from bonding with people who will leave them is a important service and that you don't do them any benefit by exposing them to that loss. Because at least for me, it's never numbed to that loss. It's just added to the list of things that make me sad. Right. So I do not generally weigh in on the side of people who say things like, well, to prepare your kids for the real world of horror and shit show, expose them to horror and shit show in the home. I get the claim, right. but I don't, I don't see any evidence. That's
1: not, I don't go that far.
0: <laughs> I was call it reductio ad absurdum but which means to take you with absurd yeah. extreme but sort of I was poking fun at but very much still aiming at when you were like I try and teach people he, teach my kids that people are going to be in their lives for a season and my sense is like I mean that's a weird thing right because evolutionarily that wouldn't have been true In the environment we evolved in, people were in your life until they died because you lived in a tiny tribal band that did not get to go to other places with other people. And so there's no reason to think that we have any evolutionary ability to cope well with loss of bonded family and friend members. There's just no reason to think that we could do that well.
1: But like my kids have had their friends move away. Sure. My kids have had relatives die.
0: Yeah, well, that, that kind of stuff happens, but I, there's no evidence that having it happen gets you better at having it happen. Is what I'm saying. When they're little, little kids, they bomb with anybody who pays attention to them, pretty much automatically.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but but in their earlier years, I could date a little more without them around because they would go spend time with their dad. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the that's not what we're talking about. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: I mean, kids are a big part of closed relationships because a lot of closed relationships hinge on protecting the kids. Like you said, the most common answer for why is either defending our relationship or even more commonly defending our family. Because defending yeah. your family sounds ethical. I'm protecting yeah, yeah. my children from people coming and going. You
1: sound like a white knight. Yeah. Uh,
0: right, uh, right. Like, and, it, and again, it makes a lot of logical sense at a first glance level. Like if you don't understand the complexities, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if we only bring one or two extra people into our home ever and then they never leave, our kids won't bond to people and lose them. Our kids won't see a parade of people coming through our house. Our kids won't get unsafe ideas about who's a stranger and who's not the risks to our kids of being abused by a step-parent will go down if we have less total step-parents in the house yeah so like there's lots of things there that seem to make total total sense but they all require you to force something that's not forcible right and that ends up just being unethical when you try and force it so yeah like if you could simply choose the kind of relationship you wanted and then be placed into that relationship with a deal people who wanted the same things that you want and fit with you and that you were all sexually attracted to each other then i think that would be like one of the most common relationship styles because it's just if it works and if everybody fit it makes so much sense based on what we're all brainwashed to want from a lifetime of monogamy that it would be right. so easy for new people to get into it that that's just no one would ever get past that stage. But The fact that everybody gets past that stage I think is a lot of evidence that it's not a stage that, that just doesn't work. There's a weird sort of in-between stage where it's like boundaries and needs that you do have that you legitimately trying to communicate to your partner that end up having the effect of having a closed relationship. So this is sort of where you do get the well we're protecting our family so nobody that we deem harmful to the family can be around so it's not that I'm I'm not vetoing the people you like I'm only vetoing people who are dangerous to our family right as decided by I feel like they're dangerous at a gut level <laughs> which is just I don't like them is what that is
1: my stomach doesn't like them
0: yeah I'm sure that's for the family not for me
1: right the kid part of my stomach says it's not good
0: nice <laughs> okay we gotta wrap this up we have about 10 more minutes when we, I think we're about done anyway right right so people will create like a boundary thicket that makes it impossible to date So, if your partner's boundaries taken together appear to make dating impossible, that needs to be revisited because that's actually an effective closed relationship without being a stated closed relationship. So, they might not even have a veto power rule, but they have a rule that you can't date someone if you would spend any less time with the kids or them, and you spend all of your time with the kids and them, and they also won't allow you to do the strategy we've talked about before of creating space for yourself to use for yourself, but also for dating, but... (laughs) You know, so like, you create these series of boundaries that make it effectively impossible. We've also seen this in boundaries about communication, like we have to talk through the next step before it happens, but there's no timeline on that. And the next step gets shoved off forever and ever and ever and ever. And it eventually effectively means we just don't date other people. And so it keeps the relationship closed. These are all Variations on a theme, but a relationship is closed if it is functionally closed, i.e. impossible for you to date because of the structure of the relationship, Mm -hmm. or explicitly closed, i.e. you've agreed not to date people. Yeah.
1: Coercively or not.
0: All right, so I think that pretty well handled closed relationships. We got the sense of what a closed relationship was. It's anything where you don't have control over who you can date, and that control is located instead in other people. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. We talked about the most traditional variant which is simply the agreed relationship group inside of which you have to have sex and you can't have sex with anyone outside of that group unless the group adds them to the group in some way and we've talked about how that could be non-coercive in the same way that monogamy can be non-coercive if you have an incredibly large amount of work put into making sure that if it comes apart you won't be coerced into staying in that relationship and you're aware of it but it's super difficult it's even more difficult the monogamy not being coercive it's also not supported by society which we forgot to say that monogamy and divorce are currently both well supported by society so it's a little bit less coercive because your friends and family understand what's going on but when you get into a non-monogamous relationship especially if your family disowns you or doesn't like it you will feel like you can't go to them for help because they'll be like i told you so and so it ends up being coercive because you have no support system and no societal understanding of what it ought to look like so no one can tell you when it's going wrong because they've been telling you the whole time it's going wrong so then when actual warning signs happen no one will see them and uh, as far as we can tell only organically forming closed relationships are going to be ethical and that those are like lightning strikes they either happen or they don't they're as rare as that so if you've never been struck by lightning you're probably not going to be in a closed relationship that works well and is ethical right but it is possible, people have them and most people are very happy in them and they appear to be ethical when they've coalesced organically through sort of natural interest and formation and shared experience and that's awesome. But it shouldn't be something that you aim at because it's just not practical. And then the insidious type of closed relationship where it's not technically closed but people have control over who you're allowed to date. This looks most often like veto power or a boundary that effectively creates veto power such as anyone that I think will hurt the kids can't date. Right. You shouldn't allow people that hurt the kids, Eat this, but your yeah. rules should be like, they don't get to meet the kids. We keep the kids away from them. We have a kid safe right. version of you dating them. And so the rules about who the kids meet, cool. Valid. Yeah. Rules about who your partner meets, no. Not valid. That is not necessary <laughs> to protect your kids. You can protect your kids without that. Right. So we did the whole section. If you want any kind of close relationship to be ethical, it has to be constantly negotiable. You have to put in systems that force you to negotiate and ask about it every six months to a year are you sure you still want to be married are you sure you still want to be in this closed relationship it would be okay if you didn't if you didn't i would still be your friend if you didn't they would still be your friends if you didn't you could still live here if you didn't we have a system for how you can keep your finances so that you don't get destroyed if you didn't we won't sue you all the anti-coercive all the anti-harmful stuff that we've talked about everywhere but dialed up to 11
1: yeah and I encourage people who are in closed triads or closed quads or what whatever number to go to your triad or your quad and sit down and go hey I think we should put these into place if they're not in place because I'm sure there's a lot of triads and quads and such out there that that don't realize that that that's
0: potential problems
1: a potential problem right but if you stop and you think about it as you've been listening to this podcast shit. If something happened, I would be up the creek or my partner would be up the creek or what have you, you know, sit down yeah. with your your triad or your quad or and, and say, hey, let's put these into place. So we make sure everybody's protected and everybody wants to be here because they want to be here and nothing's being held over their head.
0: All right. That's our show on closed relationships, ethical and otherwise. We'll see you next time for, I don't know what I'm not going to say what. I don't know. We'll see you next time. Bye.
1: Surprise. Bye.